The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. It's good to be with you uh, this morning. Take out your Bibles, please, if you have them, and turn to Acts chapter 3. We're going to look at a number of different passages, but the main one that we'll be focusing on and the one I'd like to read right now is from Acts chapter 3 beginning in verse 17 and going through verse 26. So I'll give you a minute to find that in your text, Acts 3, 17 to 26. I'll read the whole text, and then we'll ask the Lord's blessing once again on our time together. Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. And remember, as I'm reading this, this is God's word. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also, but the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that is, Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announced these days, it is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways." Let's pray together. Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word this morning. We confess that if you had not revealed yourself to us in and through your word, we would be in the dark. We wouldn't understand much about you or ourselves or the world in which you've placed us. And so we thank you that you have given us your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We thank you that your word is not a dead word, but is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We, We pray that your spirit would work through your word even this morning as we open it. We ask that he would open our ears and convict us of sin and train us in righteousness, thoroughly equip us for every good work. And we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I encountered a headline recently on, I I forget which site it was, I should have uh, made a record of it, I think it was an online news site, and the headline went like this, it said, there's a crisis of confidence in institutions in the United States. And what the article went on to describe was the fact that people don't know who to trust anymore. They don't know who to listen to. They don't know who they can count on. They don't know where to go to get information that's reliable, that actually reflects reality, that's that's actually true. 
the, the article listed a number of statistics to support this claim. It said only about 20% of people who were surveyed actually trust what they read in the newspaper, regardless of which newspaper it is that they're reading. Only about 19% of people surveyed trust what the federal government tells them. 27% trust banks. 18% trust big business and the CEOs and leaders of these great companies. And then at the back of the list, of course, was Congress. 9% of people surveyed actually trust Congress, what Congress says, and then, of course, what Congress is going to do. There's a crisis of confidence. People don't know who to turn to, who to listen to, who to trust, who they can count on, whose word actually means something. And you may have faced this when you're dealing with uh, the news, but you may also face it even in your individual life. You might have said, maybe even this week, you've said, I just don't know who I can actually count on. I, I just don't know who in my life is actually telling me the truth. Who in my life is going to make a promise that they're actually going to follow through and keep? And for many of us, this is very acutely felt because you can think back over the summer and over the past few years and recognize person after person in your life who has let you down, who has not proven trustworthy or reliable. Who is it that you can trust? Whose word can you count on? This becomes a real problem, a deep problem, when we move beyond world affairs and even move beyond our personal relationships and we get to the matter of our spiritual life. Because perhaps you've asked this question as well, who can I actually trust to tell me the truth about God? To tell me the truth about what it is that I'm supposed to do or be? Tell me the truth about how it is that I have a relationship with God. Now that's that's a serious question. Those are the deep things in life. Those are the things where you need to know you can count on someone. This is a perennial problem that we see actually since creation in the uh, Bible. We see it among uh, the very first people who were introduced to in the scriptures, and we see it certainly in the context of the nation of Israel. In the nation of Israel, God gave to his people uh, prophets that would speak his word to them. It's an interesting way that this idea of a prophet is introduced. It's actually introduced for us in Exodus chapter 7. And in Exodus 7, it's not about a prophet to Israel. It's actually about a prophet who's given to Pharaoh. And that prophet is named Aaron. And the Lord actually says to Moses, as he's sending Moses to meet with Pharaoh, he says, here's the way it's going to work, Moses. You're going to be like God to Pharaoh, and Aaron is going to be your prophet. And the way that's going to play out is whatever you say, Aaron says, on your behalf to Pharaoh. And so the Lord, in a sense, defines for us very clearly the way prophets are going to work in the Old Testament. They're going to be his spokespeople for uh, his word. 
He's going to say something to them, and they're going to repeat it to the people as it has been said to them. And then everyone will know that this is God speaking through his prophets, and they'll know that this is a reliable word. This is something they can actually count on. But of course, in the nation of Israel, that introduces a problem, and it introduces a problem that you can, I think, really easily uh, imagine, which is this, uh, if that's the way that God is going to speak to his people in the nation of Israel through these prophets, then the question becomes, how do we know that just because someone comes and says he's a prophet, that he actually is a prophet? How can we actually count on this? And so in the book of Deuteronomy, the Lord gives two basic tests for how to know whether you're dealing with a true prophet or a false prophet, how to know whether this is the real thing or whether this is some kind of uh, false teaching. And the first test, I guess, of this, the first way in which they're supposed to evaluate these prophets is to see if what they say, what they say comes true. And the Lord outlines this in Deuteronomy 18. He says, if a prophet comes to you and he claims to speak in my name and he says something's going to happen and it doesn't happen, you can ignore him. You know that you're dealing with a false prophet. In fact, not only should you ignore him, but you should actually take him out and stone him because he's claimed to speak in my name. But then there's a second test that's given in the book of Deuteronomy as well. And it involves a more complex situation. In that case, what the Lord says is this. Let's say a prophet comes to you. If you're an Israelite, the prophet comes to you and says, I speak in the name of the Lord. And, and then he predicts something, and it actually happens. So he hasn't failed the test of Deuteronomy 18. It actually takes place. Then there's a second test, and the second test is this. Then you have to listen to everything that prophet is saying. And if that prophet is teaching you something that's contrary to my law, contrary to my word, that in any way is off track from what I have taught you, then you can ignore him, even though what he promised came true. And so these play, these prophets play a critical role in Israel's history. These prophets challenge not just the people and give the people God's word, but they actually even sometimes give the king God's word. Maybe you remember this story in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12. David has just committed this great sin with Bathsheba and having Bathsheba's husband murdered, and uh, the Lord's prophet comes to David and confronts him and tells him, this is what the Lord has said. This is how the Lord is going to judge you. This is what the Lord thinks of what you did. So the prophets were able to stand up to everyone from the least to the greatest among the people of Israel. And true prophets spoke the word of the Lord. And that was then how the Israelites knew what was reliable and what they could count on and what they could, what they could trust. In fact, there's a Jewish tradition that suggests that anything that is canonical, anything that's actually part of the scriptures in the Old Testament, had to have been written by a prophet. Now, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament picks up on this. It says, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But there's a text in the Old Testament that points to something beyond the days of these prophets. 
And it's actually found in the book of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, one of those passages that talks about the tests of true prophets. And what it says in Deuteronomy 18 is this, it's the Lord speaking to Moses. And the Lord says, I will raise up from among your people a prophet like you. And whatever I say through him will need to be obeyed by the people. And anyone who turns away from his word, I will surely judge. The prophet like Moses. That's who's introduced to us in Deuteronomy chapter 18. And in fact, at the end of Moses' life, when they're reflecting back on Moses' life, it says this, and there has not arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses. So you get to the end of your Old Testament, and you've seen prophets. God spoke through many prophets to his people, but, but you haven't seen the prophet like Moses. You haven't seen that one prophet prophesied all the way back in Deuteronomy who will speak the Lord's words to the people in a definitive and a final way. And that actually brings us to this text, Acts chapter 3. We need to know that, that introductory material about the Old Testament to understand what the Apostle Peter is saying in Acts chapter 3. Now, let me set the stage a little bit for this text. In Acts chapter 3, it's a very bold sermon that Peter's preaching because he's actually preaching to people who just a few months before had executed Jesus, had crucified Jesus. And they're well aware of all that happened in the crucifixion. And Peter takes these people to, to, to task for their crucifixion, he tells them that what they did was wrong, what they did was sin. They, they had rejected the holy and righteous ones sent from God. And then Peter turns that around and says, nonetheless, although you rejected him, although you had him crucified, nonetheless, he offers forgiveness and he offers mercy and he gives a promise that he will return and bring about times of refreshing for those who have come to him in faith, the kinds of things that we actually sang about just a few minutes ago. But then Peter tries to set the whole thing in context, in biblical context, and he says this. He says, Moses said in verse 22, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. This is one of the great truths about Jesus Christ that I want to remind you of at the beginning of this semester. That Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us clearly, is the prophet like Moses the prophet greater than Moses, the one of whom it is said, to him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. I don't know if you've stopped to consider that truth about Jesus Christ. We talk here all the time about the fact that our education, our curriculum, our activities, everything we do in our campus life is centered around the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. 
And here we read this about Jesus, that Jesus is the great prophet for us. He is the one to whom we must give heed. Now, of course, he is more than just that. Uh, Peter has explained uh, how he offers forgiveness. Uh, Peter has explained how Jesus' call is actually a call to repentance in verse 26. He's explained how Jesus is also the seed promised to Abraham in verse 25. And in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he's not limiting Jesus to just being a prophet, but he does remind us that Jesus is our great prophet. Now that's significant because what that means for us today and what that meant for the people who first heard this in Acts chapter 3 is that first of all, God has not left us in the dark. I don't know if you feel in the dark in your life, if you feel as if you're directionless or you don't know exactly what to do next, you aren't exactly sure of your purpose, you don't know how everything's going to work out, you're not even sure what you're supposed to be doing. Well, the Bible tells us, and this verse reminds us, that God has not left us in the dark. I don't know if you've ever had an experience of being in physical darkness. I remember a few years ago, uh, we, my family and I were on a trip and we were exploring in these, in these caves that we had a guide leading us through. And at a certain point in the, uh, in the trip, in the, in the tour, he said, all right, here's what I'm going to do. We're going to turn off all the lights. I'm going to turn off the, the flashlight that I'm using. I want you all to make sure your phones are off and we're just going to turn off everything. And maybe you've experienced this, just utter, total darkness. You, you can't see the hand in front of your face. You can't see anyone next to you. You have no idea where it is that you're going. No idea whether you're right in front of a wall or whether there are, there's 50 feet between you and the wall. Afraid to walk anywhere, really afraid to move in any way. That kind of pitch black darkness. And then, of course, if you've been in that kind of darkness, you know what happens next. Someone just flicks on the smallest little light and everything changes. And you see, that's one of the implications of the fact that Jesus Christ is the prophet like Moses. We're not in the dark. We're not directionless. If you want to know what it is that God says about you and your life and your purpose and how it is that you can know Him, look to Jesus Christ. He's the prophet, like Moses. God hasn't left us in the dark. In fact, God has given us light. Remember what it says at the beginning of John's Gospel, that men love darkness better than light because their deeds are evil, but if you are willing, Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus himself says this in John's gospel 
when he describes what he had done on earth and what he was doing. He says this in his prayer to the Father, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and they have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. If you want to know who God is, if you want to know the implications of that for you, look to Jesus Christ. The one whom Peter reminds us is the prophet like Moses. So the question then we might ask ourselves is, if he is the source of our light, if he is the one who has come to teach us authoritatively about God and about the world and about ourselves, then how is it that we do this? How is it that we, we, we turn to him and, and remain in the words of our great prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ? And the Bible gives us a, a great deal of instruction on this. And one of the things that the Bible tells us to do in order to understand and listen to, to Christ is, that, is to meditate on his word. Remember what Paul calls uh, the, the, essentially our New Testament, the Word of Christ. And what does he say? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. You want to know how to hear from Jesus? You want to know how to have Him speak to you? Well, according to Him and according to His apostles, this doesn't come about in some kind of mystical fashion, but rather through dwelling on the Word of God and having the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. I wonder how many of you are doing this. I wonder how often you're thinking about and reflecting on and reading and, and mulling over what God's Word says. You know, in the Old Testament, there's an example of someone who did this. It's the example of a man named Ezra. And Ezra, it says, was blessed by the Lord. And then it tells us why he was blessed by the Lord. It says because he, he had set his heart completely to, to study the law of God and to do it and to teach his statutes in all Israel. That's the kind of single-minded focus that the word of Christ requires of us. If I asked you a question about sports or your favorite band or something like that, would, the, would, the, would that information come more readily to your mind than if I asked you something about the scriptures? That might tell you what it is that you're reflecting on. If you know more details about some ephemeral topic than you know about the Word of Christ, well then how much can it be said that you're listening to Him? That you're taking heed to everything He says to you? 
If you read that text that I just quoted, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, it also goes on to say that the way in which this works itself out in our lives is that we are teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And that's another diagnostic question you could ask yourself today when you're trying to determine how it is that you're heeding the word of Christ, this prophet like Moses. You might ask yourself, how often not only am I thinking about these things, but how often am I speaking about these things? Am I, am I filtering my own actions, my own circumstances, the circumstances and actions of others through the, the grid of the word of Christ? And if that's not the grid through which you're filtering these things, then perhaps you need to take another look at what Peter says Give heed to everything that he says to you. Perhaps you might also ask the question that is raised at the end of this verse, which I've been quoting from Colossians 3. He says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And then he says this, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Well, again, it's a, it's a way of asking ourselves the question, is the word of Christ dwelling in me to such an extent that not only am I reflecting on, on it, and not only am I speaking about it, but is this the substance of my song? Is this the way in which my emotions and my affections are poured out before the Lord and among other people. Very often, I think, each of these tests is one that shows us to be lacking in giving heed to everything that Christ says to us. And then finally, what does the Apostle Paul say in Colossians 3 when he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly? I think drawing on what Peter says in Acts, he says, you do all this with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It's another good way of diagnosing the extent to which the word of Christ is dwelling within us. Is your heart filled with gratitude? You might say to yourself, well, I have all kinds of problems in my life right now. It's impossible for me to be thankful. It's impossible for me not to complain and grumble because of all of these difficult circumstances. And that's understandable. The Psalms are full of lament. The Psalms are full of what we might think of as complaints before God because of circumstances. And that's not always entirely wrong. But at the same time, it's worth remembering that even in the midst of our trials, even in the midst of our struggles, even in the midst of our difficulties, God has spoken to us through his Son. And it is definitive way, in a clear way, in a sufficient way, so that Peter can say that we, he has given us everything we need, everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, whatever your circumstances might be, it's also worth reminding 
ourselves. If, if you're a Christian, if you know Jesus Christ, if you know this one of whom Peter is speaking, it's also worth reminding yourself that God has given you, through the knowledge of him, all that you need, in spite of your circumstances, for life and godliness. Jesus Christ is the prophet, the prophet who was described in Deuteronomy as the prophet like Moses. And how does he execute this office as a prophet? Well, one old writer said it this way. He does this by revealing to us, by his word and through his spirit, the will of God for our salvation. Who is it that you can trust and rely upon? Well, probably most of you don't think it's Congress uh, or maybe the newspapers or any of the traditional figures of authority in this world. That may be true, but one authority whom we can count on who's given us all that we need to know for life and godliness, is Jesus Christ himself. And Peter, the apostle, tells us, to him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And then Peter gives us a warning. And I want you to hear this warning if you're not a Christian. And I want you to hear this warning if, when I was reflecting on what it means to have the word of Christ dwell in you, you said, that doesn't describe me at all. Listen to this warning that Peter gives. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. It has to be said that if Jesus Christ is this great authority, then not only does he give us life and light and everything we need for life and godliness, but he must be listened to. He must be obeyed. And the Bible tells us that whether we like it or not, whether we want to ignore Jesus in this life or, or we want to embrace Jesus in this life, whatever it is that we say or think about Jesus now, the Bible is very clear that one day we will all have to give an account before him. That's what the apostle Peter tells tells us later, Jesus told him to preach to the people. He says he told us to preach to the people that he is the one who is appointed as the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all must give an account. And on that day when all of us, regardless of whether we care this day or not, have to give an account, then these words will certainly be ringing in our ear. Every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed. So Jesus Christ is our great prophet. He is the one who shows us the way, teaches us, ultimately shows us how to have a relationship with God himself. Give heed to everything he says to you. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not left us without a witness. That you have not left us in the dark, despite how we may feel. You have not left us 
without someone whom we can trust, even though we often feel as if we have no one we can trust. We ask, Father, that you would, by your Spirit, make us those who hear and heed the word of Christ, and in so doing, find light and life in him. We come to you this morning only because of what he's done for us, We can only approach you because of his work, not only as our prophet, but also as our priest. And so we come to you in his name. Amen.